RHD 107.9 Live. James here with you. Hope you're having an absolutely fantastic evening. We're back from Christmas and New Year. Um, I hope that you had just a really wonderful time and that you had a good chance to spend a lot of time with family and friends and do all those things that you do at Christmas and New Year. Eat too much, uh, stay up too late, have too many glasses of Horlicks, you know, those sorts of things. Um, real pleasure for the very first time here, actually in person. We've had him on Skype down the line previously, but the first time in person, the brand new coordinator of the youth ministry office here in Adelaide, Peter Beerer joins us. Hi, Peter, how are you going? Great, how are you, James? Wonderful, so great to actually have you here in person. Um, I'd love to have a bit of a chat with you about this being your very first Christmas in Australia because previously, uh, I mean, you're from Minnesota, which currently, what's the, what do you know what the temperature today is in Minnesota by any Oh chance? boy, I'd have to look it up, but I know it's cold. That's Is it gonna be rather- Zero zi- or below. Yeah. So, yeah, I was gonna say, does it have a positive or a negative next to it? It'd be a negative. But we'll be talking all about that. Uh, we're also gonna be talking a little bit about your musical stuff that you do. You're a mm-hmm. musician, well known, done a lot of those big uh, national conferences over in the US as well. We'll be talking a little bit about that and the current stuff that you're doing as well. We're talking a little bit about IKEA, but maybe not in the way that you think. Somehow IKEA has been seen to be uh, something it never is, which is kind of edgy and sort of really street which uh, is not the way that you usually think about IKEA, but they've done something recently, or others have, around IKEA. It's confusing. We'll get to it. Don't worry. We're chatting a little bit about Christmas. Your very first Christmas here in Australia, Peter. Yes. Um, It was a record hot day. You were in the hottest city in the world on Christmas Day. How was that (laughs) different to what you used to experiencing? (laughs) Well, usually I'm in the, one of the coldest cities in the world uh, on on Christmas Day. It was different. It didn't really feel like Christmas, felt more like summer vacation, which, you know, for me is usually, you know, July, August. So yeah, it was kind of surreal. It it felt more like a, a birthday party family get together, mm. you know, then I guess it was, it was a birthday party, Yeah, but yeah, very different from uh, what I'm used to. So yeah, opening presents on Christmas morning with my children was different. <laughs> I don't know how to, how to better describe it. So, I mean, I guess you mm-hmm. get used to just from a sort of like an internal thermometer thing, you get used to going, oh, it feels a lot like Christmas because I get so used to going, if the weather's hot, and I smell Christmas tree pine needles. I go, ah, oh, see, that's Christmas. Right. I know Christmas is coming, but it must be very, very different. But we were having a little chat about this the other day, and I was saying, you know, it's very interesting in Australia. We do have this kind of cognitive dissonance thing where we go, when we think about Christmas and we, we look at images of Christmas, we see snow, we see cold weather, we see that everywhere. But we're so used to that not relating to our experience. It's something very, very different. Right. Yeah, it is strange. I mean, I, I'm when I think Christmas, I think warm sweaters, fire in the fireplace, mm. staying indoors uh, out of necessity because it's so cold sure. outside. Or I'm going to go sledding down the hill with my family the next day. You know, we're going to... Even if you don't have a hill, you have to go have, sledding down the hill. We're going to go sledding. We're going to go... Yep, it's a... <laughs> We're going to go find a hill. We're going to make a hill. (laughs) 
this also would have been the first time you've been to Christmas Mass in Australia as it well. Was, where, yeah. is, where did you go? We went to St. Luke's in Norlunga. Okay, yeah, lovely. Yeah. Child, Father Charles Gauchy. Yeah, yeah, it was a wonderful, really a wonderful, uh, wonderful experience. Um, we went to the family Mass, and so uh, we made sure to get there early. Yeah. And <laughs> we got a seat right up front. Um, See, that's and, really great, because yeah. we went to, because they had an open-air one at Sacred Heart College for all of the bright and Seacombe, <clears throat> that whole area mm-hmm. um, was all down there. And I made the mistake of getting there on time, meaning just a few minutes before it started, we were like relegated to the stairs at the back. Like you could barely hear anything. There, there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people there. That's amazing. Which, what was it like where you were? Many it people? was packed. It yeah. was, yeah, they were standing room only. People were in the uh, the narthex, you know, outside wow. the doors. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was wild. I mean, th- there were so many children there mm. but it was wild yeah. yeah look when you add that many kids to the mix they don't necessarily observe traditions <laughs> in the same way that you know or even teenagers and then adults do realizing no this is not the place to do this this is not the place i mean but it was it was really great and it always really surprises me how different christmas mass is from other masses in the year the actual liturgical part of it does seem really short in comparison to the you know because the nativity story is told and acted out and that's very much you know very sort of like kid focused and 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 all those sorts of things was it the same where you were it was yeah. and I, you know and i think it's a it's a choice obviously that the the church and the presider and the the liturgists you know whoever was involved in making the decision it it is the choice but how do you make christmas mass family friendly and that's it isn't it yeah Yeah. you got to be a little entertaining with it and that's that's just fine but i know that you know if you go to a midnight mass you're going to get a much more sure uh, you know, traditional. This is mass, and this is what Christmas mass looks like at midnight. Yeah, that's a lot harder to take a six-year-old to than <laughs> yeah, than a six o'clock or definitely. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, the one really great thing that I got a chance to see is I never got to see the um, the Antioch group do music previously at a mass before they were fantastic so you know people who i've known very well like kelvin mains and holly roberts as well who's a you know regular presenter on this show holly actually sang uh, oh holy night as part of the mass and it was incredible it was amazing really really amazing so great so that was wonderful to do one of the things that um people may or may not know about you peter is that you're you know very well respected christian musician you've performed for many years and done a lot of stuff both in your um, home state of Minnesota, uh, also around the US. Can you tell us a little bit about your sort of your musical journey, how you got started and the sort of things that you've done with your music in yeah. the time since? Well, happy. Well, um, boy, how I got started. I think I've always been a musician. You know, my, uh, I, I think we talked about it the last time I was on that. Um, my dad is a musician. He's mm. a high school band director, but he's also uh, a, a musician at church, a worship leader and songwriter. And from a very young age, uh, songwriting was just kind of part of what I did. And um, my faith has always been a really important part of my life. And so I've always been honest with that in my writing. And uh, so for a long time, 
almost all of my writing was probably directed for use in church or in uh, you know uh, prayer and and that kind of thing. That's interesting. Yeah. So it wasn't a deliberate decision. You just found yourself writing those kinds of songs. Right. Yeah. yeah. I I don't think I um, I ever said it wasn't ever a choice for me. Really, it was just a I'm writing out of my experience yeah. and out of my my life. Um, and so, uh, you know, when I entered into my twenties, um, I started getting out these opportunities to, uh, to write music for worship and to write music for, um, uh, for performance in Christian settings like, uh, churches and, you know, um, prayer meetings or conferences and, and different, I don't know, different kinds of things. And so uh, it, it, it became an opportunity to share my music with a wider group of people. And yeah, somehow I, I started getting connected with uh, some of these larger conferences, like in the U.S., like the National Catholic Youth Conference. Which is enormous, isn't it? It's about 25,000 25, teenagers yeah. Yeah, getting together and uh, sharing their Catholic faith. If you could actually pick a moment that you would say is, is is a highlight, and it doesn't necessarily have to be, I guess, you know, a big audience or a big uh, or a big festival or anything like that. It, it, it can sometimes be, you know, when you when you're doing things in, in a creative way, communicating with people and actually creating things, it can sometimes be the little things that that really are the great victories. If you could choose one moment that you think is kind of like the one that really stands out for you in your whole musical journey so far, what would that be? Well, um, a few years ago, I did make a conscious decision to to not try to climb the Christian music ladder. Okay. Uh, so you know there is. Why is that? Well, it's a competition. I think I got to see a little bit behind the curtain of some of the the competitiveness that uh, in the political nature of the Christian music industry, sure. even within the Catholic world. Um, and and it really wasn't appealing to me. And I was uh, I had been trying for. A number of years to to make some headway, but I, I think you know I wasn't playing the right games, or I wasn't mm. you know putting the right kind of effort into it, maybe in in the right areas. I decided to you know to do, explore songwriting from another perspective in my life, and to not necessarily how to write um, music without it being explicitly. Uh, geared towards worship or geared towards you know worship in a communal setting you know in, in like mass or something um, and to write more storytelling kinds of songs and mm. um, and my wife Lauren is a musician as well um, a much better musician than I am uh, and and so we we decided to partner up on some of our music and um, and so we created a, a project that we called Secret Hill it's based off of um, something from a, one of the Narnia books by C.S. Lewis. Right. Uh, <laughs> and so we started creating this duet music in the style of uh, the Civil Wars. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, Joy Williams and um, John Paul White um, or Glenn Hansard in yes. you know, his Swell Seasons project. Mm. And yeah, so uh, that folky kinds of duet music. And I really, I think I grew more spiritually doing that kind of music and mm. uh, songwriting writing some of it fictitious some of it out of my own experience uh, but actually working with my wife uh, creating this music well, we've just had some incredible moments rehearsing together yeah. um, that have been incredibly prayerful and spiritual even though we're not necessarily you know singing a worship song yeah. uh, in in the traditional sense wow that's really inspirational peter 
Thank you for that. Now, Peter, we were talking a little bit the other day about, you know, it's very hard for me not to talk about the US election because I became so fixated on it and I was listening to all the podcasts about it and watching all of the news clips on on YouTube and, and all of that kind of stuff because it, it was so fascinating to see it all unfold the way it did. What yeah. was it like living in it? Terrifying. <laughs> terrifying? How, how so terrifying? Well, it's entertaining to an extent, you know, and um, I think you're on the outside looking in. And um, there were entertaining parts about it too, but uh, throughout that whole process, it was, you know, like 18 months of... It's long. Uh, you know, the Australian ones are like, they have to be no longer than 10 weeks or something. We, it's limited. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think, you know, the... One of the things that was terrifying for for me as an American citizen was the uh, the whole process. You know, this constant um, bickering and battling, and um, and are the right people in the running? And uh, you know, if your your candidate um, gets knocked out uh, early on, or you know, at whatever point in the process, and it, it can be um, excruciating trying to find you know, where you're going to be uh, finding the right place within these parties and candidates and issues and all that. So very, very interesting, but not really fun to no. be in the middle of it. No, no. Now, something that's just come up in the news just in the last few days is something which is very interesting to me because I don't really know a great deal about it, which is that um, um, the vice president-elect, my pence, has said um, that something that they were talking about during the election, which was the repealing of the Affordable Care Act, which is everyone knows as Obamacare, because here in Australia, you know, we're so used to the fact that, you know, um, we have Medicare and government funded healthcare is seen to be a real important right for Australians to have, you know, our ability to be able to be healthy. And if someone does get sick or someone does get in trouble or whatever, the, the biggest consideration that we have to give is that they're emotionally okay, that we're together, that, that we can we can be there for them to support them as family, as people who love them, friends and those sorts of things. In America, it's very different, isn't it? Healthcare is a, has, is a much different issue. It's a real hot button issue. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this new affordable care plan act is looking at being taken away what actually is it to start with what is this um obamacare affordable care act well okay so i'm not an expert okay (laughs) but i've lived through it right um well so previous to the affordable care act uh insurance you know was basically only available health insurance was only available to those who could afford buying it or whose employer could afford uh, making it possible f- uh, for them to you know, opt into it. Um, so I've always had, for instance, uh, working for the church, I've always had uh, the option of uh, you know, receiving health care through uh, the diocese. Um, mm-hmm. But I would pay a portion of it, maybe a third of it, and then my employer pays the other two thirds of it. So for me, uh, I would get a, a family option. That would mean I would pay out of my paycheck about $500 a month. And then the, my employer would pay, you know, somewhere between, you know, $1,500 and $2,000 a month on my behalf. That's, you've got to just yeah. pause for a moment because you've got to realize that <laughs> that's, 
That's staggering. That's an insane. That's a lot money. of money. And then on top of that, uh, there's still a deductible that would have to be met, which means um, if I had a health concern, if I had to, you know, take my kids to the hospital for right. anything, um, there was a threshold where, that I would right. have to pay. You talk about what well, we call them gaps, right? Yep. So, yep. So, yep. which would be about a thousand dollars per person in my family <laughs> um, before insurance would come in and, and start to pay. Uh, cover a thousand, so a thousand. So that. That's, that's the threat. So you've got to pay that much before any... Before the insurance company starts paying. And so what a lot of people would do before the Affordable Care Act would, uh, if they had a, a health concern, they'd wait till it got so bad that they had to go to the emergency room. Yeah. And then they would, uh, uh, you know, leave without paying. And the the hospital would be left trying to figure out how to how to pay the bill and usually passing it on to you know raising costs in yeah. healthcare in other areas and so you know, passing it on to the rest of us who have insurance um, and it was just out of necessity these you know people can't uh, didn't have access to healthcare so what the affordable care act did essentially was make it possible for anybody and everybody to have uh, um, healthcare not, not necessarily as affordable as they thought it would be, as they hoped it would be, mm. um, but it, it meant that people had access. I mean, a big part of what we're called to as Catholics, and I like to think what people are called to as Christians as well, is is that whole idea of social justice and you know preferential treatment for the poor and those mm-hmm. sorts of things. How do you think this sits within that? This idea of 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 taking this taking this sort of protection away from those people well i think it it totally removes uh you know the call to care for the sick to uh you know that's found in in matthew 25 uh you know i was sick and you cared for me that's how you knew i was with you and you know how are we how are we caring for those who are in uh most need in our society to be able to um to take away uh, access to healthcare without creating any kind of um, stand-in for it, or you know, to do it purely on the basis of uh, making money uh, off of you know uh, somebody's illness or their you know um, long-term illness, it runs in the opposite direction of uh, of what social justice actually is. Mm. And it's yeah, creating a bigger problem than a, than a solution. I hope you're having a wonderful evening, Peter Beerer, um, all the way from Mankato, Minnesota. Close enough. Did I get that vaguely right? Mankato. Mankato. You've said that to me before, haven't you? I think Cato, the the guy, wasn't he the servant in the Pink Panther movie? That's right. Cato. Yes. Got to remember that. Cato. Mankato, Minnesota, which is currently under 70 feet of snow, probably. <laughs> Everybody's yeah, Nordic skiing to work. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> we got to K Maids and Group One crew up very shortly. We we're having a bit of a chat off air, Peter, about this whole idea of stores closing or places closing overnight and accidentally being locked in. I've always wondered what that would actually be like to be stuck in a in like Meyer or or even my local food land with its amazingly extensive antipasto and its deli counter, which would be delicious. Um, if I was accidentally locked in there overnight, you know, what that would actually be like and whether it be scary or, or weird. I imagine it'd be pretty terrifying. I agree. I don't think I'd want to stay overnight locked in a in a store. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess now with mobile phones, it's not quite the thing it is. You could actually ring someone up and say, hey, 
I'm stuck. I think the the original fear that I always had, I guess, pre mobile phones being everywhere is that you'd be locked in a store and there'd be no way to kind of get out. You couldn't call anybody. You couldn't do anything. We were also talking about this. And when you were younger, you did something really super bad, didn't you? Yeah, we did. Didn't you? Did all sorts of stuff that (laughs) we shouldn't have done. But uh, when I was in high school, I went to a a Catholic high school uh, that was founded by Jesuits. And we had this statue of Ignatius of Loyola. Okay. And it was the tradition for the seniors, the year 12s, to uh, kidnap the statue and go and take photos. You kidnapped St. Ignatius. We kidnapped. Iggy. Yeah. <laughs> Iggy was a much beloved member of the school community and he was always anticipating being stolen. So we would uh, sneak into the school late at night, uh, dodging the security guards. Um, we had tunnels under the school. We had all these, what, you know, secret- uh, what is tunnels? Tunnels. And the tunnels. You didn't grow up in Eastern Germany, did you? <laughs> <laughs> it was a German founded school, so I don't know. Well, okay. Uh, yeah. But anyhow, yeah, so tunnels under the school. I mean, they were like crawl spaces, but they connected all the classrooms and offices and. Why? So we Why would you have that in a school? I have no idea. Absolutely okay. no that idea. That just is so strange. But yeah. yeah, keep going. But we'd spend the night, you know, wandering these uh, halls and tunnels trying to sneak Iggy out of the school. And it was a highlight of my high school career for sure. Making something mundane exciting. Yeah. Well, look, something very similar has come up in the news lately. Now, uh, it has to do with Ikea. Now... The Swedish furniture giant has lost its sense of humor over the escapades of young pranksters after 10 similar incidents in Britain, the US, Canada, Belgium, the Netherlands, Sweden, Japan, and yes, Australia over the past year. Most recently, two 14-year-old girls narrowly avoided arrest after they were caught in a branch in John Coping, Sweden. Actually sounds like one of their furniture names. Would you like to sit in this John Coping? It is very comfortable. Uh, So... People are sneaking into Ikea basically overnight and spending the night there. Two Belgian YouTubers have been credited with starting the craze with their video of a 12 hour stay in the store which has been viewed more than 1.7 million times. And in the same way that we don't condone you stealing St. Ignatius, Peter, we do not condone people breaking in and spending time in um, Ikea. Absolutely. It's not cool. Don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, they, the pair filled themselves jumping on beds, reading bedtime stories. <laughs> before uh, hiding in a wardrobe and leaving undetective after the store reopened. So no one even knew they'd done it until the video came out. Now, this is interesting. IKEA, which has 340 stores in 28 countries, might have to accept its own share of the blame for the fad, having staged its own big sleepover promotional event at stores around the world their own in 2011. People are like, yeah, this is cool, man. Spend we the should night definitely do this. Uh, so well. I reckon the part of the the appeal of this is that people actually get to spend time enjoying beds and other pieces of IKEA furniture that they don't have to assemble themselves. <laughs> I think that's got to be a part of it. Because <laughs> to be me, it's like going, oh, I've got this great new piece of IKEA furniture. It's really, really fantastic. Now I've got to put this thing together. And like that Kinney video, you know, that we were watching uh... earlier today. It's like, it never works out like that. This is fun. How is it we've got no more screws left in the bag? Always pieces left over. Oh. 
And literally, how many... What my record for dropping the Allen key while assembling the piece of furniture. I think they're deliberately made out of the slipperiest, sheerest metal possible that means that you have to drop it. And they're always just that little bit too short that they'll they're just... They're just yeah. small enough for... Yeah, they don't fit into man hands for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe the appeal of it is that they've made something as mundane as Ikea and as as normal as Ikea exciting. I know, it's not... Dangerous. Who would have ever thought that Ikea would be edgy? You know... <laughs> Been great to be with you, Peter. Fantastic having you on the show. First time actually here. It's so surreal. I'm still. Is not it over weird it. because you have it's heard so the strange. show previously over overseas? Yeah, I was in my basement, <laughs> <laughs> taping this with you. Yeah. Yes, and you uh, were. Here we are. Absolutely. Is it a little? Does it seem a little different? Um, actually, kind of being here than than say listening to it. Yeah, That's yeah. Weirdest question ever. <laughs> Does it sound weirder being on a radio than actually listening to a radio? <laughs> actually, yeah, you know. There's something a little different about it. I've actually got to do some work now. So oh, okay. Yeah. There you go. Well, thank you very much. I know you're very busy, so thank you very much for, for taking the time out to do that. If you haven't already uh, jumped onto our Facebook page, go onto Facebook, uh, look for RHD Radio, like us there. Uh, we've got uh, Instagram as well. That's fantastic. Jump onto that too. Also, RHD Radio is the name. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast where you can hear all of our previous shows, that's available through iTunes and SoundCloud. Please leave us a review and a five-star rating while you're there. It helps people find it. We are here on 107.9 Live every Wednesday night from 9, every Saturday night from 10. Stay tuned to 107.9 Live for more of your music and we'll see you in a couple of days. Bye.